Morning. What a great opportunity this morning to come together with all of you and to, to worship and to look into your word. And, you know, as we pray for some of your families that uh, it's been a different week for Rick and Gail and your family and, and for Steve, Mindy, for your family. And um, many of you have other things coming up this week. Easton, as you head into surgery on Tuesday, it's correct Tuesday, right? Mindy, your family is... Uh, you've gone through a lot. A lot of you we've been praying for, and I'm so thankful that we have a war room uh, at the ministry center, and not just there, but in your own homes. Anytime your knees hit the ground, you're lifting up each other in prayer. What a beautiful thing. It's good to come together and, and to worship God um, in song and prayer, and now in word. So let's grab our Bibles. Let's crack them open to Joshua chapter 1. Old Testament. Start in Genesis, Exodus, start working your way back. We'll get to Joshua. When you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 1. Before we start reading Joshua 1, this is another special day. And I'll take just a few minutes to talk about it because we don't have enough of time of its own out there in the world. It's, it's Super Bowl Sunday, so it's Super Sunday, right? Don't get too excited. I don't care for the team. I'm just, you know, it's fun to watch. But, um, you know, throughout the week, there's such a big buildup. All these inspiring stories and commercials and all this talk, 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 yada, 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 about who's going to win, who's playing, all that. And, but you think about it, it's more than just the inspiring stories. It's more than just the food, who's going to serve what and what are we going to order up and are we going to a party or not? Are we going to watch it at home? Oh, and by the way, there's the game. They talk about that, right? But I think, when I, when I think about things, this is it. This is the pinnacle. This is the top. This is the summit of all games. Who is the most successful out there of all the teams? This is it. By the time the end of this day comes, we will know who the most prosperous, the most successful team is in the NFL, we'll, we'll, it'll all be figured out tonight. We'll be able to walk away for those of you that care and say, I know who the most successful team is in the world. And it's, you know, and we'll find out later, right? But I think about this, the way we define victory and success is so different than how God defines it. We're, we're sitting there thinking, this is going to be its most successful, most victorious. And God says, that's not how I define success. That's not how I define prosperity. You're like, really? Yeah. God says, let me define success and prosperity for you. Okay? It's, it's not in a game. It's not in a silly sport. It's not in a paycheck. It's not in the size of the house you live in or the car you drive. Let me define success for you. Now, Joshua chapter 1, we've been reading these verses over and over and over. You ought to have them memorized by now, right? Joshua chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 7. This is God speaking to Joshua. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you'll be sure to obey everything written on it. Only then, let me read this again. 
Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Let me read that verse again because it's the only place in the Bible, in the whole Bible, where you find those two words side by side, the only place. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Love this passage. That's why we keep focusing on it for, you know, this month and next month. We'll, we'll, we'll shift gears. We'll, we'll, we'll get out of Joshua, I promise. Okay? But God was calling and preparing Joshua to lead two million people into a new land. Again, can you fathom the immensity of that call as a leader? I'm going to take two million people into a new place, right? A place where they would receive, as we talked about last year, they're going to receive their inheritance. All they got to do is take it. It's theirs. And he was equipping and preparing them. And how does God do this? How does God prepare leaders to lead? How does God prepare people to walk into a new place in life? How does God prepare you to receive what he's given you? Check it out. Verses 7, 8, 9. He commands. He gives the recipe for success. Here it comes. Read the word of God. That's it. So success and prosperity, read the word of God. That seems way too simple, doesn't it? I mean, what did Joshua's Bible look like? Well, it had five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and most of Deuteronomy. They were, they were carried alongside the Ark of the Covenant, but it wasn't about carrying or owning the Scriptures. God wanted the Scriptures to be read aloud. He wanted Joshua and the people to know them, to read them, to trust them. God didn't tell Joshua, hey, I, here's the deal. You're going to go into a new land. This is what we're going to do. You need new laws. You need new ideas. You need new statutes. So I want you to invent. I want you to regulate and do all. No, no, no. What did God say? I already gave it to you. You just need to read them and obey them and trust them. And I understand we're in the midst of uh, a lot of political things coming up. You know, it seems like there's a debate every other week with the Democrats and the Republicans. Like, oh, you're watching a presidential debate? Another one? Yep. There's like 5,000 of them. So tune in, see which one you like. And we sit there and we listen to policies. And, well, if I'm president, we're going to, you know, I'm going to have this law. And I'm, gonna, and, I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking, man, I don't know if we need new laws. I think we just... We need leaders who are just going to hold, uphold the original laws and constitution. Let's just hold up what we have to begin with. If we start there, we're going to be okay. But we recreate and recreate and invent new. It's like, God's like, yeah, I don't want that either. Not for Joshua. Joshua, not for you and your people. I don't want you to invent new laws. I don't want you to create new statutes, new things to do. I just want you to uphold what I've already given you. God didn't command Joshua to seek a spiritual experience. He didn't say, hey, I want you to go and have this personal revelation. Go sit by a bush. No, I already did the burning bush. Go by a tree. I'll have its branches go up and down and wave like, like a bird. I can do that, right? God didn't do that either. And he didn't say, Joshua, why don't you go to a conference? Got an awesome conference coming up. Those are great, but I don't want you to do a conference. We need what God told Joshua, and that was this. God's word to Joshua is the same word that he gives us. Just open the Bible. Just open the Bible. The key to spiritual growth is not increased church attendance. Ooh, did that just come out of my mouth? 
You're like, hey, I'm off next week. Rex said I didn't have to come to church. Sweet. No, we'll see you all here next week. I got my clipboard up here. I'm going to mark off. Now, that's not, that's not the key to spiritual growth and spiritual activities. People don't need and don't grow in Christ. I say people don't grow in Christ because they're busy at church. We grow when we read our Bibles, when we open them up and we spend time in meditation and prayer. That's when we grow. You don't need all these programs, right? Max Lucado tells a story in one of his books about his father and his son. And he was out in the field and the farmer was, sent the boy out to prepare the field as well. And he, he said, son, remember, as you're tilling the ground, I want you to go in straight lines and this is how you do it. I want you to fix your eyes across the field on something on the other end of the field and just keep your eyes on it and just plow straight at it. All right, well, later the father comes in to check in on the boy and there's progress. He comes to the field and there's, he's plowed all over the place. There's, there's no straight lines or just everywhere and he's thinking what did my son do he caught up to him with the tractor and pulled him over and said what were you i told you find an object on the other end of the field keep an eye on it and plow right toward it the son said i did dad but the rabbit kept hopping everywhere (laughs) straight line plow towards right here's the thing a straight line is like a good life but it involves an unmoving target, a sturdy foundation to set your sights on the unchanging principles of God's word, a strong foundation that's immovable and does not change. Are our eyes fixed on this when we plow through life? We can easily be influenced today by the words of social media, so easily. The latest news, what seems to be working for everybody else? Well, what's your plan to success? Well, what's your plan to success? Well, I heard this and why I heard that. And then what those are, those are like rabbits in the world that we sort of chase after never fixing our eyes on a firm foundation. And it gets scary. Timothy struggled with this in the New Testament. So Paul said, I, I got to write you a letter. I'm going to write you a letter because you're living in a world that's really self-absorbed and it's whatever goes for you is fine for everybody. And just live the way you want to live, rebellious and selfishly, and it's all focused on that. Well, Paul says, I'm going to write you a letter. So he wrote in 2 Timothy these words. Turn with me. If you want to, you can put something there. And Joshua, we may come back to that. We'll go to 2 Timothy. <clears throat> New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read verses, I'm sorry, start in verse 14. But you must remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. You know they're true. And you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. They've given you wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. All Scripture. Let me hear you say all Scripture. All Scripture. Let's say it together one more time. One, two, three. All Scripture. All Scripture is inspired by God, useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. 
It teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. All scripture. Not most, not just some of the books. All scripture is inspired by God. And here's the thing. We all want to be inspired, don't we? We always want to be inspired. I mean, this, honestly, there's times you come in Sunday morning. It's like, man, I hope I walk out of there inspired, right? Or you go to a ball game, or you go to a concert, or you walk into maybe an, an art museum. You want to be inspired. You want to emotionally be moved and motivated. But inspired is more than motivation. Inspired is more than motivation. The Greek word is theanostros. Theanostros, okay? It's used only once in the New Testament. Only once. One time, and it's right here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It comes from two words, theos and neo. And it means God, theos, breathes into. Neo, God breathes into. Nowhere else found in the New Testament. However, we do have a picture of it in the Old Testament. I know I've shared this with you before, but for old time's sake, let's remember, okay? In Genesis chapter 2, we read, Then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed life into the nostrils, and man became a living person. God breathed into Adam. That's how it all began with mankind. God breathing into us. When else do we see that picture again in the scriptures? Only in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, when it says all scripture is inspired, is God breathed. And in that passage, God, we see God literally forming man from dirt and then breathing into man to create life. And he inflates man with life. When someone says, man, that was so inspirational. You know what I picture? Whenever I hear somebody, that was so inspirational. I picture God just breathing into them. However, there's only one way to be inspired. There's only one way for God to breathe words into us. His Bible. His words. His holy words. These are God's words. All Scripture is God breathed. And every time you open up, and every time I open up God's word, it's like God breathes into us, like he breathed into Adam for the first time. And you wonder sometimes when you get done reading a verse or a scripture, or you hear a pastor or somebody preach on a certain verse, and it's like, wow, man, I just, it, that just hit me. It's like God was breathing into you. It wasn't that pastor. It wasn't that teacher. It wasn't that Sunday school teacher. It wasn't your GPS teacher. It was God breathing into you. So when you hear somebody preaching and you read God's word and you have your quiet time, you're like, oh man, that makes so much sense. Or like, wow, I've never seen it before. It's like, God is like, thank you for letting me breathe into you today. Coaches often call me up and they say, hey, can you come talk to our athletes? Can you come talk to our team? We need some motivation, All right? Teams always need motivation principals. Talk to them. Like our students need some motivation. You got an assembly speaker you bring in. Come motivate our, our whole school, could you? In bosses, managers. We need our employees to get motivated. They just don't want to work. And I sit there and think, how can anyone do it and do it consistently? I'll go to, 
talk to a team and you know guess what i come back next week and the next week i keep coming back i keep, you know why because they keep needing inspiration right because they think their inspiration is motivation and motivation is external just fire me up so i can go do something exciting it's like true inspiration is god breathing into you and giving you life so i try to remind them i show them a basketball and we've done this before we show you a flat basketball and the flat basketballs are at the bottom of the basketball rack at practice the kids show up and they grab the basketballs off the top and just, oh, the phone, that one's flat, just leave it on the bottom. And it always sits there, that poor basketball with no air in it, right? Nobody wants to play with it. Why? Because you can't use it. It has no purpose when it's flat. It just sits there deflated. Speaking of deflated, Super Bowl's tonight. Just kidding. Okay. Anyway, I know. Sorry for all you Patriot fans. I had to bring that one up. Tonight, all the airs will be, the balls will be checked for the air. I trust me, they will be. Okay, anyway, so the ball's flat, and it's purposeless. It's sitting at the bottom of the rack, and it's like nobody wants to play with it, right? You know what that ball needs? Air. It needs to be inflated. It needs to be breathed into so it can have purpose and be used again. There's a lot of Christians walking around deflated these days because we're not letting God breathe into us. And we are just grasping for air, trying to live for Christ, and it just doesn't work, and it's because you're flat. You've not allowed God to breathe into you through his word. God's word, the Bible, is our only source of inspiration. Just think about this. Think about God's word. It's amazing in multiple ways. How it was arranged. Consider how the Bible's been arranged. Over 16 centuries... 40 different authors compose the Bible. And who were those authors? Soldiers, shepherds, fishermen, farmers, kings. Moses started in the wilderness writing, and John was on the island of Patmos when he concluded it in Revelation. They wrote in their palaces, they wrote in their tents. Imagine that's where Moses was. Paul was in prison, wrote a lot of his letters. This book was pieced together from multiple places, multiple authors, and they didn't even sit down and compare with each other. Hey, so what did you write? Hey, you know what? I'm thinking about putting some of your stuff in, in my book too. You okay with that? Oh, yeah. That didn't happen. Three different languages, several different countries, over 1,600 years, and what do we have? One book with a singular theme, that there's a God of this universe who created us, who loves us, who said, you cannot be saved on your own, so I will send myself in the flesh through my son, Jesus Christ, to provide a gift of salvation to you. You can't earn it, you can't buy it, but you can ask for it, and I will give it to you freely if you confess with your mouth and believe in your hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. One singular theme right there. Over 1,600 years, amazing. It's amazing in resilience. It's the most single published book in history. No other books cannot publish it. Bestseller all times, translated in over 1,200 languages. It's outlived all other books. It's been banned. It's been outlawed. It's been burned. It's been banished from courtrooms. Even back when they wrote the 12 days of Christmas my true love gave to me, that was a secret coded song to help children remember different things about the Bible. Every number correlates with a certain thing from the Bible because they couldn't use their Bibles. And yet, God's word endures. 
Amazing resilience. Amazing in prophecy, containing over 300 fulfilled prophecies just about the life of Jesus Christ himself. And they were written 400 years before he was ever born. Can you imagine 400 years ago, somebody sitting down and writing, I believe they'll, they'll, there's going to be a nation called America. There's going to be a president. And he'll be assassinated in a theater. And that's written hundreds of years before. And you're reading that and whatever. And then it comes true. That one prophecy, how about 300 of them fulfilled over 400 years? So let me ask you something. We have an amazing, life-giving, God-breathing tool in our hands. Are you reading it? Are you reading it? Oh, I've got this great plan on my phone. You know, it's a Bible reading plan. Are you sticking to the plan? Well, I hit and miss. So why have a plan? You're not using it. Do you think tonight or any time those coaches are on the sidelines, they've got their, their game plan. They've worked so hard on the game plan, prepare, 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 I've got my game plan. And then they get to the sidelines, the game starts, and they take their game plan, they're like, I don't need it, I got this. You know, they're pulling out their game plan. They're gonna to stick to it as much as they possibly can because they wanna be successful. How can we be successful if we don't have a plan to get into God's word? Well, I try to get into God's word. Don't try, do it. If it's that important, if it's so life-giving, why aren't we immersing ourselves into his word? Can you imagine waking up in the morning and going into the garage, start up your car, garage doors down, everything's closed up, and you just sort of sit in there and just sniff the exhaust and the fumes. Now compare that to opening up the back door, going on the back porch on a spring morning with a cup of coffee or orange juice, whatever you want. I'm just picturing you guys down in Tennessee in those pictures. And just sitting on the back deck, just looking, sipping your coffee, birds tweeting. Ah, the smell of spring, right? Which one would you want? The garage or the back deck? Amen to that. If you really think about this, which one is healthier to inhale? Which one brings life? Which one brings death? When you get up in the morning, let me ask you this. What are you inhaling? Sounds sort of personal, doesn't it? Some of you are like, I know what I need to not inhale right now, right? Do you open up God's word and allow God to breathe into you? That's what I'm asking you. Do you take deep, cleansing breaths of God's word? Do you let him breathe into you? Or do you turn on this world's vehicle of social media and entertainment and pollute yourself with the toxins of what's going on around us? Which do you breathe in first? I know, it's tempting. I gotta check my phone. Somebody might have been trying to get a hold of you over the night, right? Oh, well, well, there's Facebook. Oh, hey, there's the news. Oh, hey, there's Sports Center. Hey, set it down, pick it up. Just a challenge. Because if this is truly life-giving and inspiring, we need to pick it up. We need to breathe it in. Be careful what you breathe. For you. Because here's the deal. You don't only inhale it, you wear it. Think about it. I'd wake up early as a teenager. I'd go out to the barn and do the chores. Okay. Hundreds of hogs, quite a stench on our farm. 
say that, okay? So I'd go into the barn, and after an hour of doing chores, and it didn't even take an hour. It could just be five minutes walking into the barn, okay? And you walk out. Guess what kind of aroma I've picked up for the day, okay? And even though I put on coveralls, and just, okay, I'm, I'm good. I unzip the coveralls, and I can go off to school. No, you can't. Not with a little bit of dad's aftershave and cologne, right? A little, you know, put it on, and do I still smell good? Like, man, you smell like pigs. Really? You know, but here's the thing. I was so used to the stench. You get out there, and it's like, what? I don't, I don't smell anything. I smell fine, right? Because I've, I've inhaled it. I've taken in that aroma, and I'm so used to it. I didn't know. But when I got around some of my friends at school, <laughs> like, dude, really? What? You smell like the farm. It only takes a couple times to be told that before you start coming in and showering and scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing, right? We all know it's like when you go into, back in the day, when you go into a bowling alley. You know, you come out, you're like, man, where you at? Bowling alley, yeah. I can smell it on you, right? Or you go into a bakery or somewhere, and you smell the bread and the, the fresh aroma, or a pizza place. <laughs> You come out, everybody knows, they know where you've been, they can smell it on you because you've been breathing it in and the fumes and the aroma. When you wake up in the morning, let me tell you something, when you wake up in the morning, inhale God's fresh air. Let him breathe into you, let him inspire you. Allow the aroma of God's word to permeate your soul. So that when you leave your house, you are saturated with God's aroma. As you walk through the day, people will know, man, you've been sitting in the presence of God, haven't you? Absolutely. Don't know. Let God's word change you from the inside out. And let me ask you this. I'm saying all this, but the question is, do you really trust it? Because here's the thing. You will wake up in the morning and you will choose to inhale God's word or you won't. And it's going to be because you trust it or you don't. See, we're good at uh, hearing things, but a lot of times we don't always trust and act on them. And maybe here's what happens. We only hear part of God's words, or we heard somebody say, well, I heard one time in the Bible it says this, and they sort of twist it a little bit because they didn't quote it correctly. And then you sort of grab that, it's like the telephone game, you sort of pass it down, pass it down. By the time it gets to the end of the line, what started at the front comes out at the other end of the line has been completely changed. And you sit there and think, well, I thought God said this in his word. And because he didn't, I don't know if I can trust him. I'm going to tell you what happened. Somewhere along the line, the message got changed, and what you were trusting wasn't the right story. I'll guarantee it. We've listened to maybe half-truths, or we allowed it to sway us from what really God said. Regardless, we didn't really fully pay attention maybe to what God's Word said. Turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 4. Matthew, Mark, second book in the New Testament. Mark chapter 4. Great story. Jesus has been talking and teaching, telling all kinds of parables and stories. Verse 35. Evening comes around. Jesus looks at his disciples, and he's like, hey, you know what? Let's head back to the other side of the lake. That's where they were to begin with. It's like, let's go back. So verse 35. Evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. That's sort of key. I want you to hear this. Because see, Jesus is speaking. Sometimes we only hear in half 
truth, so we didn't catch it all. So let's make sure we got this. Let's, let's, all of us disciples, cross, we're going to go cross the lake, the other side of the lake. We're going to land on the other side. Is that pretty, that's pretty clear, right? Okay, good. Okay, so they took Jesus in the boat, and they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking in the boat. It began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind, said to the waves, Silence. Or if it's an all-state commercial, be silence. Be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? You know, I look at that story and the disciples, and they just finished that time of this teaching, and they're on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus said, hey, let's cross all, all the way over. Let's cross all the way over to the other side of the lake, okay? Let's do this. So they get in the boat, and they go, right? So, but where's Jesus in this, this little trip? Where's he at? He's sleeping. He is so at peace right now. Where are the disciples? They're scrambling. They're wondering, does God really care? I mean, does he really care? There's this huge storm. We're getting tossed and turned and everything. And Jesus is sleeping, so Jesus wakes up. He rebukes the wind, and he says to the waves, silence, be still. He basically charged the forces of nature and muzzled it. Love it. That's what that word means, be still. He looked at his disciples and charged them with a couple questions, and he said this, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? How long have we been together, guys? I'm sort of throwing a little bit of other stuff, okay. How quickly you've forgotten who I am. Did, did you forget who I am? Now, if Jesus were to walk in here this morning, he might say this to us. Hey, did you guys forget who I was? Where's that stone that you wrote on a few weeks ago to remind you about that? Did you lose that stone already? Didn't, didn't you send Rhonda an email and y'all prayed about it and I answered it and you had a praise and like, hey, Jesus is alive. God is good. Did you forget? And yet five minutes later, you're sort of wondering where I'm at. I mean, didn't you all just come and worship me this morning? Didn't you come into this building and sing songs to me? Tell me I'm beautiful. And you pray to me. You worship me, and then five minutes later, you're out the door, and you forgot already that I'm the Lord of your life and that I love you? you. You think I'm sleeping in this storm right now? You just worship me. I'm here. Why aren't you taking me at my word? Didn't I say, let's cross the lake? Or did you think I said, hey, let's cross the lake and sink? Did you throw in an extra word? I didn't say, hey, let's cross halfway. Hey, let's cross till we get to a storm and then panic. I believe my words were, let's get in a boat and cross the lake, period. But isn't it funny how sometimes we take God's words and we sort of forget them or we twist them or we add to it. It's hard to trust Jesus when we do that. He made it very clear. He declared the outcome to begin with. When that storm appeared, the sound of the wind and the waves overpowered the words of Jesus. And that happens in life, doesn't it? We hear the words of Jesus, then we wake up and we have a storm in our life. And it almost overpowers everything we've been praying about and thinking about. And it's like, oh, how can I trust him, right? 
Let me ask you this, which do you tend to hear more? Crisis or Christ's words? Which do you tend to hear more? Crisis or Christ's words? Open God's word. Inhale it. Trust it. What did God tell Joshua? Let's read it again. Be careful to obey all the instructions that Moses gave you. Do not deviate from it. Turn either to the right or the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Study this book continually. Meditate on it day and night. Be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in life. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message of Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach, counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God in thankful hearts. Let me ask you this. Does God's words sound above all the other voices in your life? Breathe it in. Swallow it. Think on it. Speak it. It's God's gift to us to be successful and prosperous. What are you breathing every morning when you wake up? What are you breathing in? Are you reading God's word? I believe it's going to change us. What's your plan? Church, what's your plan? Do you have a reading plan? I hope and pray that every morning you choose to get up and inhale. Let God's word dwell within you richly so that as you go throughout the day in the storms of life or the joys of life, people around you are like, you've been in the presence of God, haven't you? I can tell what's coming out. I can see because you're trusting him. A lot of you have had to do a lot of trusting throughout the storms lately in your life. But I think you would wholeheartedly agree that God never fails. He never fails. Would you please stand with me? Worship team, would you please come forward? Psalm 119. The psalmist says this. You made me. You created me. Now, give me the sense to follow your commands. Shouldn't that be our prayer this morning? God, you made us, you created us. Give us the sense to follow your commands. He goes on to say this. May all who fear you find in me a cause for joy. For I, I've put my hope in your word. I know, Lord, that your regulations are fair. You discipline me because I need it. I accept it. Now, let your unfailing love comfort me, just as you promised me, your servant. Surround me with tender mercies so I may live, for your instructions are a delight. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you for this church family. We can come and worship you and sing to you. I thank you, Lord, that you pulled Joshua inside. You want to know what it takes to be successful and prosperous. You want to know what it takes to lead two million people into an uncharted territory. You want to know what it takes to survive the storms of life. 
It's my words. My words give life. I breathed into Adam and created life. And through centuries, I've been trying to remind my people, I give life. God, thank you for telling us that. We needed to hear that this morning. We needed to hear from 2 Timothy what Paul told Timothy, a a young man struggling in a world of self-absorption. Timothy, you want to make it? Get in the Word. Because all Scripture is God-breathed and inspired. God, as we open up your Word throughout the week and every day, breathe into us. Breathe us the life that we need to make it through the day. Breathe into us peace as we face storms. Breathe into us joy as we want to celebrate all the good things you give us. Breathe into us hope when we're wondering, where you at, God? Is this going to happen? Breathe into us strength when we have fear come across our life. Breathe into us passion and love to help those that need it for the day. God, breathe into us truth so when people speak false things or when we see things that just, we wonder, is that really real? Help us to know what is real and what is true. God, breathe into us your word. God, as we sing to you, we make a proclamation this morning. And we love you. God, thank you for loving us. You sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come to this planet, to come to this place, to die for us, to do something we couldn't do. And that's get right with you. The only way to get right with you is to ask for forgiveness. So God, there might be somebody in this room this morning right now. It's like, I need to get things right with God. Right where they're standing. All we got to do is ask for forgiveness. God of this universe, holy and mighty, giver of life, forgive us for when we failed you. Give us new life. Give us strength. Give us hope. Give us peace. So we can live for you. Not in heaven, but right now. God, love you. I'm going to sing to you. My name we pray.